you know, if you're never failing, then you're never learning. You're not challenging yourself. Um, you're not evolving. You're not progressing. If you're never uncomfortable, if you're never challenged, if you never fail in your in your thinking, then you're not growing. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years, over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Abbott, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolster, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. A guest that I've wanted to have on for quite some time, former NFL star, Super Bowl champion, two-time pro bowler, Doug Baldwin Jr., one of the most eloquent athletes I've ever listened to, someone who rolls up his sleeves and gets involved in the community, doesn't just write a check. He goes out and meets with people and is making a difference in our world. Players Coalition, there's all kinds of controversy around anthems and protesting and things like that. But the Players Coalition is cutting through all of that, and they're doing really meaningful work in the community. So we'll talk to Doug Baldwin Jr. about that, about some other things going on in the NFL. He played with Andrew Luck at Stanford, so we'll talk about that, mental health of athletes. But I think you'll enjoy our conversation. Also, Chris Wimmer, who hosts the Infamous America podcast, really interesting look at the Black Sox scandal, 1919. So we're at the 100th anniversary of that Black Sox scandal. We'll discuss that with Chris Wimmer coming up on this week's podcast. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head over to MizzenInMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenInMain.com, code SBR. I can tell you one thing, I'll be wearing Mizzen in Main dress shirts at all future sports business radio roadshows and sports PR summit events. I can't wait. Blinder is the way high-performance teams connect their talent with the media and fans. It lets communications managers provide unprecedented access to their athletes, entertainers, and executives while respecting everyone's privacy and time. Blinder makes phone calls magic. Request a demo today at blinderhq.com backslash SB radio. 
Joining us now on the Blinder Guest Line is Doug Baldwin Jr. You can find him on Twitter at Doug Baldwin Jr. You can also find the Players Coalition on Twitter at Player Coalition. Doug Baldwin Jr. graduated from Stanford University before signing with the Seattle Seahawks as an undrafted free agent in 2011. During his eight-year career, he won a Super Bowl and played in two Pro Bowls. He led the NFL in touchdown receptions in 2015. Most notably, Baldwin is a board member of the Players Coalition. He's a 2018 Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award finalist, and he was selected the 2013 Seahawks Man of the Year for his extraordinary leadership and service in the community. Well, Doug, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. I love athletes who are eloquent and candid, as well as who roll up their sleeves and get involved with the issues facing our community. You've done both. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me here today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with this. You had an eight-year NFL career as an undrafted free agent, and I want to read you two quotes from the quarterbacks who played most often with you in college and the NFL. In 2013, Andrew Luck said, Doug plays with two chips on his shoulders. And then Russell Wilson tweeted out when you retired earlier this year, greatest competitor I've ever known, Mr. Always Open, grateful for who you are as a player, a teammate, and a man. Thanks, Doug Baldwin Jr. Doug, where does your competitive spirit and that chip on your shoulder come from? That's uh, a loaded question. Um, I think that when you incorporate my childhood and things and experiences that I've gone through, um, you know, it's that that argument between nature and nurture, right? It's got to be some some bit of genetics, but it's also got to be the environment you grew up in. Um, and I think that just the experiences that I've gone through in life have kind of told me to be very passionate um, when I'm competitive and when I'm in a, in a competitive environment. So, and, and it holds true for everything, whether I'm playing football or I'm playing a ping pong. I got to win. So <laughs> it's just something I, I've lived with. You played in two Super Bowls and you came up big in the biggest moments throughout your football career. Like Russell Wilson said, Mr. Always Open, you always found a way to make the big catch when it mattered most. When you look back on your NFL career, what are the moments that mean the most to you? You know, it, it's it's odd that you say that because a lot of the, the actual football plays on the field, they you know they they come and go. They're not um, they're not the greatest memory holders. Uh, but what, what I can say is the memories I have with my teammates on and off the uh, off the field, um, you know, those memories probably stand out the most. And 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 quite honestly, uh, the the things that I'll miss the most of, about the league. Um, yeah, I can't pinpoint one thing. I, I will say just, you know, hanging out with the guys off the field, just getting to know them as, as people and, and the background stories, where they, they've come from, um, you know, the, the joys that they've experienced, the struggles that they've experienced, just getting to know them on a human level. I think that uh, those are the things that are going to stand out to me the most and, and that I'm going to remember the most. Yeah, that Seahawks team seemed like such a close-knit bunch, both on offense and defense, and uh, you know, you guys had such great success. But it seemed like from afar, I was never in your locker room, but it seemed like you guys genuinely liked each other, and you know, probably hung out off the football field as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just as I pointed out, and you know, yes, we uh, we were very close, but that also means that we also, uh, you know, we had our battles, and I think 
the best way to describe it is that we were a family. We truly were a family. Um, not always the healthiest family, but we, we were truly a family. And, you know, we, we genuinely cared about each other and the well-being of each other's families. Um, and so that bled into the football field where we were competing for one another, you know, for each other. And that, that propelled us to, to heights that we wouldn't have been able to achieve just solo and, and, and individually. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. We're, you could tell from afar, but when you're in the locker room and you're amongst the guys, you can definitely tell the difference of how much we um, bought into each other. I want to change topics for a minute. You played at Stanford, and your quarterback there, for part of the time at least, was Andrew Luck. And Andrew announced his retirement from the NFL this past weekend at the age of 29. You announced your retirement at the age of 30. Rob Gronkowski retired this offseason at age 29. Walk us through rehabbing an injury and just how grueling of a process that is, not only physically, but also emotionally. Yeah, I... I, I can't, um, I, I won't be able to do it justice. I don't think words, it's just something that you have to experience. Uh, it, it's, it's just different. And I, I think that there are some people who can understand it empathically, but for the most part, again, I feel like you have to go through it. It's not just the physical exertion that's required for this. There's, there's a lot of things that, um, emotionally and mentally that are, are heavy when you're dealing with, um, significant injuries that we like like we've dealt with and and it's not i shouldn't say specifically about the injury itself that uh is pertaining to the mental and the and the emotional drain but even the pressure of trying to get back you know the pressure of feeling like everybody's watching you and everybody's waiting on you to get back um and the expectation is for you to get back faster and sooner than what the doctors diagnosed and so that's you know that's part of it too. And when when you feel like you are trying everything and doing everything you can to get back from that injury, and um, it's not progressing the way that you would want it to, or uh, you're it's still lingering after you, you know come back, um, you know there's a there's a lot of mental and emotional things that come into play, especially when you're supposed to be on one of the biggest stages in in, in the country. Um, trying to perform at a high level and everybody scrutinizes you as you do. And so there's, there's, a, there's an element to there that's, uh, you know, it's just different. And again, it's hard to explain. Um, you know, those who, who haven't experienced it, uh, most times won't understand. Um, but it is, uh, it's a real thing for sure. Well, and we kind of saw that with Kevin Durant this year in the finals, right? Like, you could tell he felt a pressure to come back and then he came back and he re-injured himself. So that's a, a risk that you take if you come back too early, right? Correct. And I think that's that's one of the common um, themes that you hear when you talk to guys after they're trying to recover from a major injury. And the reason why is because if you come back too early, you are at a much higher risk of injuring yourself again or injuring another part of your body and then complicating the whole situation. And a number of guys do that. And I think that's why you see a lot of these compound injuries and um, guys really struggling to stay healthy because, you know, the mindset that's always been taught in NFL since, in football, I should say, since we were younger is that you just you tough it out. And that's not to say that there's not an element of that as well. There are some times when uh, you're hurt more so than you're injured and you got to figure it out mentally uh, to get through it, um, as well as physically, obviously. But then there's other times where you have to be a little bit smarter and recognize that there is an injury that you are exposed to or that you're dealing with that, uh, can significantly impact 
not only your you know immediate future and your immediate playing time, but also your long-term health and your quality of life down the line. So those things obviously have to populate in your head when you're uh, you know to, trying to navigate that that path of dealing with some injuries. Well, so you play a brutal sport, right? Such a physical sport, like you said. There's injuries. But then I look at people like you and Andrew and even Gronk. You're all smart guys. You apparently have saved and invested your money wisely. They talk about sports being a world of of trends, and we're seeing guys retire earlier. Do you think guys in the future are going to look at people like you and Andrew and Gronk and say, hey, I want to save my money too. I want to invest it the right way and then give myself the option to do other things beyond the football field and, by the way, not play such a physically brutal sport. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that that's, um, I hope that that's a, a thought process that everybody has in mind. And not just, not just athletes. I mean, even, you know, just anybody, anybody who's working whatsoever, I think that they, you know, we're trying to reach the same goal. We're trying to reach a point where, um, you know, we can do the things that are healthier for us uh, in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, fortunately enough, in, in some cases, some guys are, able to make that happen um in other cases guys aren't and they have to continue to push and, and figure out a way how to get that done but you know i think in the grand scheme of things um you know there's there's a time you get to a certain age and you start to weigh uh you know what's what's important and, and what you're trying to accomplish not only in the next season or or um you know for your career in the nfl but also what you're trying to accomplish for your lifetime you know um and those things start to start to weigh more heavily in your head, like I said, as you get older and, and as you start to build a family and um, priorities start to change, you know, things change because uh, ultimately what's important is not, you know, wins and losses on the football field or how much money is in your bank, but being able to uh, spend a quality of life with your family when you're 45, 50, 60 years old, that's something to be proud of and something to enjoy rather than be uh, miserable and trying to figure out how to recover from injuries that, you've dealt with in, in your football career. Such a good point. I want to go back to the mental health of athletes for a minute. It's become a huge topic, not only with you know NFL players, but also I see guys like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan out there. I thought it was interesting about a month ago, the NBA has a new mandate that each team must have at least one mental health professional on retainer. So my question to you is, are sports leagues and the NCAA doing enough to help athletes with their mental health? Um, I, I would, I would agree to say no, and that's not an indictment on, you know, the sports leagues themselves. I think it's an indictment on society as a whole. I think that we don't uh, put enough emphasis on the impact of, uh, you know, our mental health on our overall health. And that's a societal thing. You know, it's, it's, a uh, it's, it's, it's not something that you talk about. It's taboo to talk about. And, but it's a real thing, and anybody who has been in a locker room um, understands that it's a real thing. And you know, this is not, um, you know, this is not a specific demographic of people that suffer from more or less uh, issues with with mental health. It's just a portion of the society that deals with mental health. I would actually argue that uh, athletes are on the on the better scale of mental health because we exercise and because we have to be in a uh, an environment where we're taking care of our bodies in other, in other capacities. 
But that doesn't take away, again, all the mental and, and emotional stress that comes with the pressure of playing the sport in the first place. So there are those things as well attached to it. And, yeah, so to, to answer your point, I don't think that there is enough emphasis on mental health um, as a society. So I don't see it uh, being able to trickle down to the NFL and to, and to other sports leagues enough either. So if the NFL came to you tomorrow and said, hey, Doug, what can we do to help athletes with their mental health more in the future, what would you tell them? I would tell them there's, there's things that you can do on um, on the younger age levels, on, on the top Warner levels. There's, you know, we, we always talk about, or we've always seen these uh, commercials of Play 60 and, um, you know, the elements of, of trying to get kids involved in football because, you know, that, that's what essentially what uh, makes their bottom line in, in the longer end. They're trying to contain, uh, sustain the pipeline of, of young players to the NFL. Um, but, you know, if, if it was really about taking care of the mental health and the well-being of, of people um, from, you know, an early age all the way to the NFL, as the NFL has proclaimed to be uh, passionate about, you know, they should put more emphasis on mental health at, at a young age. Catch them early, fix the problems and, and the issues that are arising now. Um, and that have been going on in our society for a very long time. Catch them at a younger age, and you give you give guys and, and people a better opportunity, a better chance to be healthier when they're older and when they're actually participating in the NFL. Um, you know, at, at, at after college. No, I completely agree. I want to dig into your work with the Players Coalition. You're a board member, but I want to first start with this, Doug. It takes a lot of courage to stick your neck out and take a stance on social justice issues. You've been doing this for a while now. Where does that courage and commitment come from from you? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. And it's kind of hard to state it uh, because people may take it the wrong way when you express express it the way that I'm about to express it. But, you know, hell, I'm going to express it the way that I believe it to be. Um, you know, when at some point in my life, I, I feel like, I woke up and realized that there's people outside of myself, that there's a whole world outside of myself. Uh, and it's much bigger than just my house, my neighborhood, my, my city, my state, and much bigger than my country. Um, and when you start to look at human beings as just other human beings inhabiting this earth, then you, you fall into a level of empathy. And you could imagine yourself in that person's shoes or in, or in that person's country or that person's situation. And you start to think about, you know, what would I want? Who, who would be fighting for what I'm needing and what I'm um, experiencing? And you know, it's it's kind of hard to say no. It's kind of it's kind of hard to not uh, push for these causes and push for changes and, and fight for essentially what I believe to be just human basic human rights. Um, and in 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 a sense, also to also make sure that. I'm looking through the lens of understanding that even the system itself was built by humans. And so there's a level of empathy and understanding that, you know, some things are not intended, but some things just happen. And because we're still human, um, you know, for example, implicit bias, there's a lot of people who don't know they have implicit bias. And it's not that they're malicious in their intent, but it's just they don't know what they don't know. And so, uh, you know, just I guess that's a roundabout way of answering your question, saying that on a human level, it's very hard not to push myself into these uh, these topics and these conversations because it matters so greatly to a great group of people 
um, who, are, again, are just humans trying to inhabit this earth. Well, I'll tell you what, it's admirable because not everyone in your position sticks their neck out there or thinks of people beyond themselves, frankly, and and you've done such an amazing job. I want to go back to when you were a senior in high school because this seems to me, I heard you tell the story a few years ago, seems like this was a formative moment for you. You're a senior in high school and you got pulled over and the police thought that you were driving a stolen car and they didn't know you from Adam, right? They just pull you over. Tell yeah. the rest of the story from there, because I know your dad was in law enforcement, and part of what you're doing right now with Players Coalition is you're helping law enforcement with de-escalation training. Tell me the rest of that story, and did that experience help lead you to what you're doing today with some of the de-escalation training? Yeah, um, I mean, I would say that it, it did have uh, it did have an element of influence in my conversations. And, you know, to be quite honest, when the actual situation happened, I didn't think much about it outside of the fact that it was just, you know, a scary situation. Um, and, and the reason why I didn't is because I genuinely believe that, you know, there, there was a mistake. Um, and I really had nothing else to go off of, to be completely honest with you. So, you know, it, it was, it was definitely a scary experience. And I, and I definitely shared that with, all the law enforcement officers that I spoke to. And it was just part of the conversation of understanding and realizing that we're all human and that we make mistakes. And yeah, sometimes there, uh, as, as the you know, cliche saying is, is that there are some bad apples who make it worse for a lot of people. I, I would say the same thing is very similar to guys in the NFL. You know, we, there's a stigma around players in the NFL that, um, you know, guys are, are, are abusive or, are drunks or whatever. And that's just not the case. There's a few guys who, who struggle with, with that side of addiction. And um, just like there are in the greater uh, population of society, it's just we're on a higher profile uh, platform. And so it, it, there's more attention brought to it. Um, so, yeah, I did have conversations with them regarding that. But again, like to my point, it, 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 it spoke more to the human element of the interaction that people have, regular civilians have with, with law enforcement and the importance of getting it right at a human level. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, former Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin. We'll be right back after this. Well, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Did you know that ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards? They don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Doug Baldwin. 
You and other NFL stars like Malcolm Jenkins, Anquan Bolden, Chris Long, Josh Norman, Josh McCown, Devin McCourty, Benjamin Watson, you're rolling up your sleeves, you're meeting with law enforcement officials, lawmakers, education leaders, community leaders via the Players Coalition. For people listening to this right now who don't know what the Players Coalition is, what is it and how was it formed? Yeah, so the Players Coalition was formed um, a few years ago, and uh, it was basically this, this, this it, it, it spun out of a conversation that just a number of us were having um, in a text thread. And we were just communicating on things that we were passionate about and things that we wanted to get done. Um, and, and so, you know, I want to emphasize that this is, was entirely player-led. Um, it had nothing to do with the NFL. It was totally outside the NFL. And we, uh, as players, built um, uh, an organization to push and, and uh, effectuate change on initiatives that we felt compelled to work on. Um, and so, yeah, we've been doing this for a number of years now. And we're outside of the NFL. We're totally independent from the NFL. Um, yes, the NFL has given us um, some uh, support, financial support, However, we are in control of where the money goes and making sure that we are uh, supporting initiatives that are on the ground level and actually making change. And, you know, and, and not, and not in, a, in a PR way. You know, that's, I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of times, I think organizations and, and um, companies, corporate companies, are trying to push a narrative of what they are doing instead of uh, actually worrying about what the impact is. And so um, I'm very proud to be on the Players Coalition because that's what we're about. We're about making the change and, and doing the work um, and not really concerned about, you know, what the, what's in the media or what uh, the public is talking about because it's, it's more so about how we're making change in the communities that need it the most. Um, again, I'm very proud to be part of the coalition and all the things we've been able to accomplish to this point. Well, and you mentioned the money that the NFL gave. It's my understanding, $89 million, but it's over seven years. And, Doug, to get the Players Coalition off the ground, you and the other board members put your own money in to start this, right? Like, no one funded this for you. You guys funded this on your own, right? Right. There's a lot of guys across the league who um, supported the, the Players Coalition financially, and then obviously the guys on the board, we've all had to contribute uh, money as well. And yeah, you know, that, again, my point is that it was player led. You know, there's very passionate guys in the NFL who were determined to make change in their, uh, in their communities and in the country to, for, for the betterment of society. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a no brainer that it would, that it should be led by players and it has been led by players. And yeah, you definitely, uh, can contribute or attribute the early, um, support to the players because that's where, that's where the money came from. So the Players Coalition is a 501c3, 501c4, as I understand it. A lot of people listening to this may say, okay, this money's coming in. Where is the money being allocated, and who decides where that money goes? Yeah, so first and foremost, we have a um, a working group uh, of, of players and a task force of players, and we, we discuss... Um, where that money is going to go. You know, we, we are passionate about a number of different pillars, so public education, um, uh, criminal justice reform, and then police and community relations. Um, and so within those pillars, we look at different organizations and initiatives that are, um, you know, that are doing work and that are trying to make change. And, and we support those in a number of ways. But, 
you know, we're adamant about making sure that those pillars align with our core values. Um, and so there's a number of things we've, we've done. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to go through the list of all of them, but, uh, you know, it's the, the work that we have done has been very impactful on the ground level. And um, we're hoping that it bleeds into a, the greater uh, trajectory of our country. Well, and the thing that I want to emphasize, too, is that you're not just allocating money and going, well, this organization sent us a letter and we're sending money here. Like you're sitting in courtrooms, you're meeting with law enforcement officials, you are rolling up your sleeves and talking to the people in the community who are making these decisions. And that is a volunteer of your time situation. You're not being paid for this. No, not at all. And this is what we're passionate about, though. So that's, you know, I, I think that um, it's uh, it, it shouldn't be surprising, right? The members of the Players Coalition, we regularly engage with subject matter experts, with public defenders, with grassroots organizations, elected officials, and that's to arm ourselves with, with education and information, but then it's also so that we can go out and engage the public about the systemic issues that are, you know, frankly impacting their lives. Um, directly or indirectly. So is it, these are things that we're passionate about, so it shouldn't be surprising to anybody that we that this is the, the path that we've chosen. What are the top-line issues that you think people need to be aware of? In in in, in what way? You mean in terms of... You guys are doing a lot of work. You're, issues or yeah, yeah, no, with you're doing work in the community. I mean, is, is it the de-escalation training with the the law enforcement officials like you're sitting in courtrooms you're talking to people what are you seeing out there that are the the biggest issues of need right now i think the biggest need is really for people as you said to roll up their sleeves and just um, educate themselves i think that's the biggest need um you know before i can even talk about the the, the topic level issues and and the you know the big words that that catch everybody's attention before i can even talk about those it's just it simply comes down to people understanding what those things are and how they um, impact their lives. You know, whether you're directly impacted by it or, or whether you're indirectly um, impacted by it. I think the the the, the real message I want to make sure that's clear is that this is a humanity issue. This is not a black and just a black and white issue or or you know a left right issue. This is a humanity issue. You know, to many taxpayers. Um, specifically, we can talk about prisons. You know, there's too many taxpayer dollars that are going to prisons instead of education. And prisons, in 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 a lot of ways, it's becoming a business because it's free labor. And I think that <laughs> if you just go down that path and uh, look at it, Amendment 13 in, in the U.S. Constitution, and you start to dive into all the things that impact people who are affected by Amendment 13, you start to realize that there's um, a systemic issue in our country. And really, it's hard for me, again, you know, I can say all those words, but it's really hard for people to completely understand unless they roll up their sleeves, they get educated about it, they look into it, and then they place themselves in an empathetic, empathetic position to feel the impact that uh, some, it might have on somebody. Um, and again, indirectly, it's taxpayer dollars that are paying for this systemic issue. So, again, I, I, I don't want to talk about all the topical things that um, that are out there in the public and in and really not being digested and uh, absorbed by, uh, you know, the, the greater population of society. So I guess the, the biggest issue I would be pushing for is just the people to, to educate themselves and to listen to what guys are saying. Um, because obviously if, if we as individuals in the Players Coalition are putting so much effort into this and there's a, 
a conglomerate of people across the country and the world that are putting so much effort into this human uh, issue, then there's got to be something there, right? I guess the, the, the saying goes that there's smoke, that wherever there's smoke, there's probably a fire. Um, there's a lot of smoke. And so I, I'm hoping that this conversation and the many conversations that we have realizing the people that are hoping, revealing to people that there's a fire and that we need to find ways to put it out. Doug, unfortunately, a lot of efforts like this become political. Uh, people want to make them political. And I've seen that the media and even some of the fans have created sides. And on one side, you've got the Players Coalition. And then on the other side, you've got Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. What's the real dynamic? Is everyone on the same team? Or is this as political as it seems the media has made it out to be? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's an element... Of, of the media sensational, sensationalizing it as well. Um, but, yeah, we're on the same team. And, and I, I don't know if it can be um, any more apparent that, you know, what Colin took a knee for and what uh, a lot of the players uh, are fighting for are the same. We're fighting for changes to our systemic issues. And that's, you know, above all else, this, the, the direction that all of us are going. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes, I, I would, I would fear more to say that the media is more, is sensationalizing it more than, um, it's an actual issue. The NFL recently partnered with Jay-Z to work together on social issues. Some people saw that as a PR move. Other people said, Hey, look at Jay-Z's track record. He's made some meaningful differences in our world. How did you view it? Uh, I mean, if I'm being transparent, when I first heard the news, I was um, I was kind of confused. For one, you know, the Players Coalition was not informed of of this um, this partnership, which uh, we were supposed to be. Right? It, it, anything in regards to the social activism um, and and the, just the conversations around our our social work, uh, you know, the Players Coalition was supposed to be. Um, involved in those discussions and we weren't so you know take that aside I, and to be completely honest i'm not surprised by that um but i will say that i'm i'm in a wait and see uh position because i don't know what jay-z has planned um and i don't know what the the partnership really involves you know i think that there's an element to it that's obviously been talked about as uh the nfl trying to cover up their tracks in a sense, by using Jay-Z as a, as a PR move. Um, and I do see an element of that as well. But again, to your point, to the comments that you said, Jay-Z's track record and who he's um, you know, claimed to be in, in the public sphere, those are things that you know have have some value and we're, we're going to be in a position of wait and see and see what happens. I do think that there was um, some mistakes made. Obviously, the fact that there's a you know the PR issue that comes out of this uh, the fact that it wasn't um, forecasted and that it wasn't looked at as beforehand, I think that that's a, a major issue. I think there's a lot of steps that were missed in the process, um, including Jay-Z not talking to Colin Kaepernick before he signed the partnership. Now, I'm not saying that he had to, but uh, just as a courtesy to the men who actually started this entire conversation, I thought that that, was, uh, that, should have been the, that, that should have been the first thing he did, was have a conversation with him. But again, I don't know all the details, so I'm in a wait-and-see position. we we'll wait and see what happens. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, former Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin. We'll be right back after this. 
When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Doug Baldwin. All right, we've got just a few minutes left. Wrapping up on the Players Coalition. So the areas of focus, criminal justice reform, social and racial equality, uh, there's other things that you're doing. You're rolling up your sleeves. If someone's listening to this right now, because we have athletes, we have companies who are listening to this conversation right now, and they want to get involved and they want to get educated, how do they do that? How do they join your effort? Um, I mean, there's a number of ways that they can do it, and I'll I'll list off the, you know, the the typical ways of, you know, you can go to our website, you can donate money to help support our organization that obviously then goes and helps support initiatives and other organizations. But just on a human level, I think, um, you know, the biggest call to action is just for us as, as a society to be more cognizant of applying empathy to those around us. Uh, And, and, and not in a, um, you know, not in a selfish, egotistical way of I'm empathetic and you're not, but truly just, shutting up and listening to the struggles of, of our fellow human beings who are, again, just trying to inhabit this earth and survive on this planet. Um, I think that's the biggest call to action that I, that I, that's the main call to action I want to push is, you know, there's a level of, uh, there is a need for people to be more empathetic and to understand the plight of, of other people. And if we can do that in an empathic way and do it in a way that, uh, you can expand on conversations and expand your perspective and look outside of yourself and look to ways in which you can make a greater impact on the, on your, your immediate community. Then maybe we can have a, a drastic change. Maybe we can have a culture shift. Maybe we can start realizing that there are a lot of things that are wrong with this country and be willing to admit it and be willing to admit that that's okay, that there are things that we need to change because we're not perfect. We're not, and nobody will be. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't stop uh, progressing and, and, and evolving and, um, you know, changing things for the betterment of our society. So, yeah, I guess that's my point is I'm hoping that from all the conversations we've had and including this one, that um, the importance of empathy and for looking at each other as human beings that are just inhabiting this planet together. Um, yeah, that, that's my call to action. 
Well, and personally, the term I've been using a lot lately is echo chamber. And I've heard you do interviews and you've said, get out of your comfort zone, have conversations with people who don't think or look like you. And I think that is great advice because I think in the world today, without turning this too political, we tend to talk to people who think and look like us and we live in that echo chamber. And it's really important to see the other side of the equation. Absolutely. And I'll use the analogy in business or just actually this is not even an analogy for business. This is just an analogy for life. You know, if you're never failing, then you're never learning. Right. If you don't fail, that means you're 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 not learning. You're not challenging yourself. Um, You're not evolving. You're not progressing. And it's the same. It's the same, uh, you know, thought process in, in, in your comfort zone. If you're never uncomfortable, if you're never challenged. If you never fail in your um, in your in your thinking, then you're not growing. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's the only thought. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's the only opinion. Just because you have a belief doesn't mean it's the only belief. And if we can look at that again on an empathic level and take the time to put our beliefs and our opinions and our thoughts to the side to hear somebody else's opinions, thoughts, and beliefs then maybe on an empathic level we can understand where people are coming from. We can understand why there is such an outpour and and, and uh, desire and need for the criminal justice system to change when there's a community of people who feel threatened and feel like their, their life is in danger every time they come into contact with law enforcement, right? There's, there's a reason for that. There's a reason um, for, again, I don't want to get too passionate about it and, and, and take up too much more of our time on this uh, specific question. But the point is, is that there is an empathic level uh, and need for people to rationalize in their head what's going on and why there's such an outpour. And I think it would be a lot easier for the greater, you know, demographic of our population to just, and to put it bluntly, to just shut up and listen, to understand that there's a viewpoint outside of your own. And if you can take the time to listen to that perspective and that viewpoint, you might learn something. Um, but you can only do that to your point if you're uncomfortable and you're having the conversation with people who don't look like you and who don't think like you. Amen. All right. Your future. Uh, you are such a bright guy, well-spoken guy. Um, I know you're involved in a few things. You have the Doug Baldwin Family Combine, which you do, which people can learn more about at db89combine.com. You've been advocating for a new multifaceted center in the state of Washington. What are the things you want to focus on going forward? That's a good question. There's a lot, there's a lot of uh, directions I want to go in. Um, but I think what I started off doing was you know, having conversations with law enforcement, with the community, um, and just really trying to educate myself on how we can attack some of the systemic issues and just some of the behavioral issues, um, including implicit bias, and, and how we get better at educating not only our adults right now, but also our children who are going to be the next generation to be dealing with this issue. Um, you know, I think that's where my passion uh, is, is going to keep me. Uh, focusing on the younger generation and, and providing, um, you know, not not providing in a sense a, a perspective that they should have, but just a different perspective that they may not have received uh, at, at home. And I think that's vitally important to the growth of our society. You know, we have to continue to expose ourselves to different cultures, different uh, beliefs, different perspectives, so that 
we can understand each other better. And that's not to say that, you know, you need to change your beliefs, but just so that you can be empathic about somebody else's beliefs. Um, you know, that's, I think that's where my passions are going to stick, and that's the, the um, road that I'm going to continue to walk down. Yeah, I'm sure I'm a father, too. And when you have kids, it really does change your perspective because you start thinking about the world that we're leaving for our kids. And when you think about it in that perspective, it's really different, isn't it? It is. And it's been a um, it's been a struggle to go through this process and look through it in that that lens. Um, and, you, you, for example, you, uh, you know, I, I can bring out the uh, the example of um, Jaylon Martin, of course. Um, you know, it's, it's a kid who is no longer alive. And, you know, regardless of the circumstances around it, if you can just look at it at, on, on the simple level that it's just a kid who's no, who's no longer alive, um, you know, that's... It, it pulls at the heartstrings in a number of ways. And then, again, to your point, when, when you have a child and you start to think about all the things that um, a child would be doing or, or, or experiencing in life. And those are one of the things you don't want to think about. Those are one of the experiences you don't want to think about. And it's, it's a challenge, you know, and, and I, but it's also uh, the reason why there's so much passion and so much motivation to change uh, things in our, in our society uh, and to make, make this world a better place. And so, yeah, to your point, it's, it's much more difficult when you look at it through a, a lens of, as a parent, um, and, you know, again, putting that empathy and putting yourself in the shoes of another parent who has lost a child to some of these, um, that quite, quite frankly, things that we can change. I want to finish with something a little lighter. Uh, you used to do something on YouTube called The Fresh Files, I saw. And, you know, I listened to you speak, and I'm like, this guy is made for broadcasting or podcasting or, you know, The Fresh Files on YouTube. Is any of that in your future? Because I just think you have so much to say, and and I'd love to see you develop some platforms to uh, continue saying it. I appreciate that, first and foremost. Um, But I'm not sure, honestly. There's a lot of things that I am involved with right now, a lot of things that I want to do, quite frankly, and I don't don't know where all that's going to lead. So maybe in the future... um, I'm not anticipating getting into broadcasting anytime soon, if at all. But you never know. We'll figure out what's going to happen uh, when it does. Doug Baldwin Jr., you can follow him on Twitter at Doug Baldwin Jr. You can follow the Players Coalition on Twitter at Player Coalition. Doug, like I said, I've wanted to do this for a long time. I tip my cap to you because I I just, you know, anyone who went undrafted and had an eight-year career in the NFL and was as accomplished as you were and, you know, led the NFL in touchdowns in 2015 and won a Super Bowl, two Pro Bowls, and now to see what you're doing in the community. I'm not pandering to you here, but you should be very, very proud of what you've done with your life so far. And I'm sure, like, when I saw you retire, I go, you know what? This guy is going to be more successful post-retirement than he was on the football field, and I honestly believe that. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and that's the plan. I want uh, I want football just to be a part of my life. You know, it's not my legacy. It's not who I am. It's just a part of my life. It's what I did for a section, a portion of my life. Um, and so I'm really thrilled and excited about this next journey and this next phase because, to your point, I, I have ambitions and I have goals, and I'm looking forward to accomplishing them. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. I hope we can stay in touch. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
I can't tell you how many times over the years on Sports Business Radio that a PR person is asked to listen in on my interviews with their CEO, GM, coach, or athlete. They also want to call us in our studio so that we don't have the phone number of the high-profile person who is calling us for our interview. Blinder has developed a technology that solves these issues that have existed for years. Use Blinder's unique technology to connect your athlete, coach, or executive's personal phone for any interview without sharing their private information. Remotely control the phone interviews. Set start and finish times, monitor online or with the Blinder mobile app, and listen to a recording of the call at any time for complete peace of mind. With Blinder, you're finally in control. The system works globally from any phone line. Scheduling a call takes seconds. Customizable push notifications ensure a connection, and no one needs to download anything to make or receive a call. PR people everywhere should be using this helpful technology. Blinder is now the technology we use for the official guest line for Sports Business Radio. Learn how to start your free trial by visiting blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. Now we're talking. My guest is Chris Wimmer. He is the co-founder of Black Barrel Media and the host of the infamous America Black Sox podcast. You can find Black Barrel Media on Twitter at B Barrel Media. The podcast has been featured by Apple. It's currently number four on the history charts. Eight episodes diving into the 100-year anniversary of one of the most infamous events in American sports history, the Black Sox scandal. Chris, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Great. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm really, uh, captivated by the episodes that you've done so far. I think we're on episode number three. And, you know, this is a story that has existed for a long time, but I frankly haven't, to- haven't heard it told with the detail that you guys are telling it with. How did this whole idea come about? Uh, well, it's actually about a year-long process. I had the idea for it about a year ago when I first dreamed up the idea for a show called Infamous America, and I wrote the idea in a little notebook, and then I put it aside for a while. And I think in about February, I, I, this is one of those middle-of-the-night things. I woke up in the middle of the night and said, and said oh, my gosh, it's 2019. It's the 100-year anniversary of the Black Sox scandal. <laughs> I had that has that that item has to get moved way up on the list. It has to be get done right now. I got to put this thing in motion. And it was just a pure coincidence that I happened to have gone to sports journalism graduate school at Arizona State University at the Cronkite School, the Walter Cronkite School, and that is now where Saber is headquartered, the Society of American Baseball Research. So I reached out to them and said, "Hey, I want to do this story. I want to do the really detailed version, the narrative story from start to finish, the whole thing." Would you be willing to help with it? Uh, they had about four years ago, they had published a great book all about the scandal that was edited by a gentleman named Jacob Pomrinke. And I spoke to him about it and he said, yeah, we'd love to help. It sounds like a great project. So we began working on it in late February, early March. Yeah, the level of detail that you guys dive into, not just about the, the scandal, but about that entire era. Like when I listen, I feel like I'm being transported back to 1919. And, you know, you're, you're learning about that whole era in addition to the scandal. But the level of detail for each episode, how many hours does that take for each episode with all the research you're doing? Oh, many, many hours. I, I would, I would, it would be great to try to actually put a number on it at some point, but it's a long process. Uh, you know, I, 
I do, I, you know, obviously Jacob and, and the great people at the Black Sox Scandal Research Committee at Sabre did all the initial research. So I'm very much standing on the shoulders of giants here. I'm using their research and diving into other things to fill in the world of 1919. But so I do a lot of research on my own, and then it takes days to write each script and then record it and edit it and, you know, put the sound and the music with it and all that stuff. So it's a very long process. Obviously, a lot of people have seen the the movie or read the book Eight Men Out. Why do you think this Black Sox scandal has resonated so much with people over the last hundred years? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's my guess would be the kind of combination of just, you know, basic scandal. It was gambling conspiracies. This was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to gambling and baseball. Gambling had been a part of baseball since the very beginning. It had been tolerated. It had been punished to some extent every now and then. But this is when it all changed. This was the first time that a an actual the single commissioner of baseball had just been put into place. So the framework within baseball had just changed. That commissioner's first major ruling was to ban eight players for life for gambling. So it was the first major stand against gambling. And it also was the human element of it. Guys like Shoeless Joe Jackson were beloved figures, and he would almost certainly be in the Hall of Fame if not for this event. So it has that element to it as well. You know what I think is ironic that's also happened on the 100th anniversary of the Black Sox scandal? Now you fast forward 100 years later, and Major League Baseball is doing a deal with MGM Sports on gambling analytics. And gambling is going to be legal in a number of different states. But isn't it amazing how the sports leagues now are doing business with the casinos and gambling entities, and 100 years ago, players were being banned? Yo, no question. That, that's a great point, actually. You could, just in the last few years, you've seen the rise of sports betting, sports betting becoming legalized in so many other places. And they're now all, it's now being featured on all the sports networks. There are certainly plenty of podcasts about it. And yeah, so we, we went from an era when gamblers used to set up shop in the grandstands at the stadium and conduct bets there. <laughs> And that was frowned upon, and but it, but it was tolerated for a long time. And then obviously the Black Sox scandal handle happened, and there was a big attempt to eliminate gambling completely. And now we've completely flipped the other direction. We're like, oh yeah, wait, there's a lot of money to be made in this. Let's embrace it. Doing your research, out of all the research you've done, what are the one or two things that surprised you the most? Uh, I think the the biggest thing that surprised me was the. I guess the the way I phrase it in an upcoming episode is the width and depth of the gambling scheme, the actual conspiracy. I did not realize at the time, having watched the movie and read the book, Eight Men Out, that there are actually two completely separate sets of gamblers who are working with the players to try to fix the World Series. And so it gets really complicated, and and, and people are double-crossing each other. I just didn't realize the the depth of how crazy the scandal actually was, the conspiracy behind the scenes and the players working with all these different gamblers. That was really eye-opening to me. Um, and then I would bet the, the, the second thing was just the, I guess, learning the the details about the players lives was the most was another really big interesting thing obviously if you've read the book or seen the movie you only get the kind of surface level stuff because there's only so much time a movie can devote to those things but learning about the life of buck weaver and shoeless joe jackson and chick gandall and all the players who were involved and the players who weren't involved that was really interesting too just to make these guys real well in contracts and player payments so different back then 
uh, as compared to today where, you know, players are making tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, oh, and that, that, yeah, I probably should have listed that as one of the more eye-opening things. Yeah, here's some, some little factoids from that time period. So most players played on one-year agreements every year. They did a brand-new deal every season, and the best negotiators would, and the best negotiators and the best players would hopefully get multi-year contracts, but those were rare back in the day, uh, certainly 100 years ago. And the, certainly if you have listeners of a certain age or just baseball historians, they hated reserve clause was was a key was a cornerstone of all that stuff where it, the the clause the way contracts were structured a player was tied to his team for life unless the owner did something about it the only way you could leave your team was to be traded have your contract sold or your contract terminated that was it the player really had no leverage in the deal whatsoever wow and you think like the red sox sold babe ruth's contract right I mean, not yeah. in 1919, but that was one of, of that era. That was probably the biggest contract to be sold and player to be moved. And, you know, like you said, players were tied to their teams. There wasn't free agency like exists today. We sit around looking at all the free agency moves and people announce things on Twitter. That wasn't happening in 1919. No, the, the exact opposite was happening. The, the reserve clause, uh, which I believe was called a team option back then. So anyone who was familiar with baseball contracts, it was actually called a team option. But you signed your contract for one year, and then the, the team had an option to bring you back the next year. So they essentially reserved your services for the following year without you having a contract with them. And so that clause stayed in place for, al- for almost 100 years until it finally fell apart in the late 1970s. In the late 1970s. So there was a 100-year time period where there was no free agency the players had very little control over their contracts. You were offered something, and you basically said yes or no. It's crazy how things have changed. The infamous America podcast from Black Barrel Media, the Black Sox scandal, Apple, Spotify, any place where you find your podcasts. Where else can – I know you, we gave out your Twitter handle. Is there anything else that you want to say about uh, this podcast? And like I said, I've been captivated by it. The detail that you guys researched was really amazing. Thank you. I, yeah, I guess I would just would just jump back to the the way you, the, one of the first things you mentioned, filling out the world. That's something I always try to do in each one of my series is to put whatever the core storyline is into context. And certainly, there was so much happening in the United States in 1919, that late 18-teens, um, late 19-teens. I'm sorry, and early 1920s was a really interesting time period, very crazy in our history. So it wasn't just the scandal. It was set in a really crazy period. So that was a, that was other fun things to learn. Chris Wimmer, make sure to find his podcast, Infamous America, from Black Barrel Media. Again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, they've been featured by Apple, currently number four on the history charts. Follow Black Barrel Media on Twitter at B barrel media chris great job with this thanks for the cross promotion and partnership and uh, continued success to you and to you too Sid. thank you very much i very much appreciate it and love your show as well can't wait to go home and listen again thank you so much you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back i know many of our sports business radio listeners and my friends with pro sports teams fly by private or charter plane so let me offer you the scattering report that will save you time and money When flying into or out of New York City, there can often be long delays. That's why you want to fly into the brand new, pristine Republic Jet Center, located in Farmingdale, New York. That's just 30 minutes outside of New York City, making it the airport with the fastest time into Manhattan. 
Don't get caught up in delays flying into Teterboro or White Plains. Choose Republic Jet Center, and you'll experience all the reasons why you chose to fly privately. Republic Jet Center is a full-service, signature-select FBO that delivers an unparalleled level of customer service and safety to the private and charter jet industry. Enjoy Republic Jet Center's luxurious lobby and contemporary lounge in their new 100,000-square-foot facility. The concierge staff will gladly assist you with making any reservations you need while you're in New York City, from ground transportation arrangements, dining reservations, or even helping you with chartering a helicopter flight to Manhattan or the Hamptons. That'd be nice. Their comprehensive white glove FBO service and premier affiliations are compelling reasons why aircraft owners and operators benefit from selecting Republic Jet Center. Whenever I fly private in or out of New York City for the Sports PR Summit or the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, I now have a terrific new option, Republic Jet Center. For more information, visit RepublicJetCenter.com or call them at 631-881-9520. Follow them on Twitter at Republic Jet Center, and that's CTR for Center, or on Instagram at Republic Jet Center. Republic Jet Center, the official private airport partner of Sports Business Radio and the Sports PR Summit. Guests appearing on Sports Business Radio will receive a dress shirt from Mizzen and Maine. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. No more dry cleaning and no wrinkles. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. It's the most comfortable dress shirt I've ever worn. Head on over to MizzenMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our sports business radio roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ziprecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. And we want to remind you all the great places you can get the Sports Business Radio podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Sports Business Radio. So download us for on-demand listening. Subscribe, rate, and review us as well. We always appreciate the reviews. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.